and welcome back to Intelligence Talks. I'm your host, Anna Ward, Senior Residential Analyst at Knight Frank. And today I'm joined by David Balin, who's Chief Investment Officer at City Global Wealth and Knight Frank Research Partner, Flora Harley. This episode will be discussing the impact of rising inflation on real estate. We learned this week that both British and US inflation rates accelerated unexpectedly in June, challenging the view that high inflation during the post-COVID recovery will be temporary. We'll also look at which property sectors have emerged strongest a year after the onset of the pandemic. So welcome, Flora and David. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Anna. Pleasure. What would be interesting to know, David, is whether you think the Fed and the White House should be taking this more seriously. What's your sort of position on this at the moment? Well, I think the Fed is taking this seriously in the sense that they have to make a decision about whether or not to tighten their monetary and fiscal policy uh, and how fast to do so. The number one concern is to make sure that this recovery is full and robust. That's clearly what they want to do, which means they want to drive employment growth faster. uh, And that is being achieved, I think, as the economy reopens, and specifically the service sector reopens. The type of inflation that we're having right now, I think, is temporary, meaning that it really is due to distortions. When you say temporary, because obviously before the idea of temporary was probably not sort of three recurring months of inflation to this rate. So that's sort of come out unexpectedly. So how much longer do you think this level of inflation will last for? Uh, it, it could definitely last for several more months. There are two different kinds of inflation, I think, and you're getting to this point. The type of inflation that we worry about is when there is sustained demand in excess of supply of the things we want to buy, of the things that we want to acquire and, and, and their inputs for the things that we actually make. If we were, for example, to have uh, an inability to attract enough labor to service industries for a long period of time, that would be the kind of inflation that would be worrying to me and to the Fed, right, as an investor or, or managing the economy. The fact that, that the cost of inputs, shipping costs, uh, individual component costs like semiconductors or material costs like lithium for batteries. The fact that those things would be expensive in the beginning of a recovery to me seems completely normal, but exaggerated because we're coming out of a pandemic. And the data that we're seeing right now, while unusual, highly unusual, I would argue is the temporary kind, in other words, the beginning of a, of a recovery kind of inflation and not the sustained inflation that would be most worrying to the Fed today. And so we have to see what that data looks like, because we know the Fed is deliberately running a very loose monetary policy, right? They are still buying lots of securities, right? $120 billion per month. They're creating enormous liquidity in the marketplace. They are really in a go-go growth mode because of the fact that they're worried about the nature of this pandemic and the ability to get back to full employment. In terms of interest rates, do you think that the U.S. is likely to hike those perhaps earlier than expected, given the unexpected levels of inflation that we're seeing? I don't. And I'll tell you why. It's a technical reason. In order to get to a rate hike, the Fed has to remove itself from its unusual policies uh, that are stimulative. So it has to withdraw over time from making bond purchases. It has to take programs that create liquidity in the market and shut them down. And there are several of them that still are ongoing now since the, since the recession due to the pandemic. It has to do all of those first, and then it can raise rates. So those are the things we're looking for first. So could it happen sooner than 2023, which is really when people expect it? And by the way, the, the, the market expects it sooner. But structurally, right now, if you look at what they would have to do, it would take it out a year and a half. 
So they could bring it in, right? Um, we're going to see signs of that well earlier. So I would look for you know withdrawal of, of, of bond purchases as an example is a much more relevant in near-term likelihood than rate hikes. Flora, to bring it back to the UK, obviously a similar situation unfolding here with um, rising inflation rates. Uh, what's your sense of the outlook, therefore, for, for real estate, given, um, as David has pointed out, you know, interest rate hikes could be coming sort of sooner than perhaps anticipated? Well, I think to David's point, what we're seeing now in terms of inflation figures is a consequence of last year, and it's coming off that lower base, and we've seen oil prices spike and many other inputs spiking. But what's more important for real estate is, uh, you know, looking at the future inflation. And even if interest rates do go up, you know, we've spoken about in our research that the UK residential market isn't that susceptible to interest rate rises for many different reasons. The spread of mortgage rates above base rate is much higher than it was pre-pandemic. So even if rates did rise, there's room for that to be absorbed into the market. Also, with rates so low as they are, the proportion of income being spent on mortgage payments is still around a quarter, whereas back in 2007, it was around 40%. So again, there's just less risk of that actually having any material impact on the housing market at the moment. Looking at commercially, inflation is less of a hedge as it has been previously, but it is still for good assets. We're still seeing it as quite a big hedge. And in fact, we're seeing a lot more demand for index linked assets and yields have been compressing on UK uh, commercial assets. And the buffer of yields above the base rate, again, is lower, but we're still talking hundreds of basis points. So there's still a lot of absorption. So even if there is high unexpected inflation, any interest rate raises, as David said, are still quite some way off. But actually, the property sector isn't susceptible and any rises will be small and incremental, I think. Just touching on the strength of domestic markets, or at least the kind of I suppose, increasing reliance on sort of internal resources and so on. I mean, supply chain issues have have come up quite a lot in the UK. And I know as well in the US, obviously, the price of raw materials is going up. I mean, we spoke before again on the podcast last year around, um, you know, potential change in the way the world trades and so on. Are you seeing any sign of that happening yet? I mean, certainly for real estate and construction, these supply chain gaps are having kind of real impacts at the moment. Um, Yeah, ask any builder about trying to get hold of a roof slate, you know, he'll (laughs) have a problem with that. I spoke to one manufacturer of windows who's had five price increases this year with no decrease in demand for windows, right? And a lot of that, I think, has to do with um, two, two factors. One is the absence of inventory build during the pandemic because they literally didn't build their inventory. The inventory has declined. So there's an inventory rebuild. And then secondly, a reacceleration of the economy and, you know, to use windows as an example, in areas where residential demand, of course, is, is, is unusually high and likely to stay so. And when you combine that with the fact that the entire supply chain, literally the, the, the movement of shipping containers became abnormal and where those were positioned after the pandemic was is abnormal, there's a lot of stuff that's going, that's going on. But in general, when we look at you know, the world economy, right, we're actually seeing peak demand now. You know, this is the refilling of the supply chain, all of this demand, and actually Therefore, over time, a, you know, a, a reduction in demand is likely to occur and a normal uh, economy is, is more likely to be there in 2022. If demand stays unusually high, if growth rates are, for example, in the United States stay at 5% or more for a couple of years, that would be unusual, right? That would be normal growth rate here is 3% given what our population grows. If European growth were to be that number and stay there for a couple of years, the same exact thing. And, and so that to me is, is, is what needs to be questioned. And, and we're looking at this every day, which is 
can we sustain growth rates well above normal for 24 months or for you know, two to three years? That, that would be an unusually strong recovery, something we don't expect right now, but it's possible. What would give rise to that kind of unusual sustained growth would be, and I'm using growth stocks as an example, but if growth industries continue to drive 10%, 15%, 20% top-line growth because of what got underway in the pandemic and their demand for engineers and software you know, uh, coders and things literally outstrip supply you know, globally, you could imagine, you know, that to me would be um, indicative, I think, of, of, of uh, an inflation worry, but also uh, of an economy that was simply doing better than anyone could have expected. And Flora, just to bring you in here on the sort of supply chain point, I know that you obviously were tracking all of the disruption in the Suez Canal and have been sort of writing a lot around these sort of macro issues from your side um, when we're sort of talking about economies becoming more local um, and deglobalization, whether you're seeing kind of real signs of that happening at the moment? Supply chains have been hit like never before, first with the pandemic, then, as you said, the Suez Canal blockage and then the pandemic again, you know, major outbreak in a Chinese port started to limit the amount of exports coming out of there. All of these things have really been pushed to the forefront. You know, it's been a major point of discussion over the last year of that onshoring, that reshoring, that nearshoring, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I think we're continually looking at that and pointing to David, what he said about the impact it's had on prices, um, the base effects now feeding through, but you look at the, the spike in lumber, for example, in the US as well, and then it settled down as we've seen more supply come through. Um, but we can see a lot more of that in areas which feed through to next year's inflation. But pointing to what's happening in the real estate sector and the rising bill costs as a result of the shortage um, is one of the biggest concerns, as you said, and most the most challenging factor among house builders and developers. I mean, the housing minister here in the UK has said earlier this month that he's prepared to intervene if shortages become a material obstacle. As David's been saying, it's been magnified by the increased construction activity and it's starting to put some strain on the sector. So all of these things are going to have to be thought through about where you're getting this supply from. And I think that we'll, we probably will see a lot more of that onshoring and reshoring and sort of localised efforts. And David, just to circle back just to where we sort of started off, um, just because obviously this is such a big focus and there doesn't seem to be a kind of real answer. But I mean, for property investors, I mean, how worried should they be about the current rate of inflation, do you think, in the, in the UK and the US and indeed around the world at the moment? Who benefits from inflation, right? So companies that produce goods and services that have the ability to pass on price hikes, right, will get increases in revenue and actually increases in profitability in, in an inflationary environment. And if you think about where there are going to be shortages of real estate, of certain kinds of real estate, right? Let's say, let's take a look at suburban real estate, right? You know, high quality assets in some of these secondary cities, um, as we were talking about earlier, those could actually see um, increases in total value. If I was a real estate investor today, and in fact, one of the things we're advising our clients is that you want to be a borrower in this environment, right? You know, private equity allows you to be a borrower. You get to borrow at one and a half percent, right? And you get to then buy a company. In real estate, you get to borrow at, you know, one point nine percent, right? And you could even swap out your, you know, your your you, and fix your rate. You can take a variable and, and and swap it into a fixed rate. You want to buy an owner of real estate. The key in real estate total return is identifying where rents are going to grow and having a fixed mortgage. That is a great combination. Well, if you're a real estate owner right now, this is a great environment for you if you have the right assets and if you have the right strategy, right? So an example of that is there are two shortages, right, in the United States that are obvious. One is real estate associated with last mile activity. All industrial and warehouse uh, 
spaces necessary to actually do the fulfillment activity of, of the supply chain that you've talked about and also of delivery of goods and services, they're in short supply. That's an area where you're going to see rent increases. Great time to be uh, buy, uh, an owner of that. And then secondly, in the entire area of digital infrastructure. So where do we put our 5G infrastructure? Where do we put our you know uh, connectivity infrastructure? Where do we put our cloud infrastructure? All of those, again, are in short supply. And the demand for those, as we know, is going to explode due to data utilization. So these are areas, I think, where one can clearly make the argument that that real estate assets in, in those areas are going to be excellent investments in this low interest rate environment, full stop. So are you hearing of investors um, sort of trying to kind of lock in then kind of mortgage rates of low interest at the moment? Or I mean, are there concerns of interest rates coming up and then perhaps they're kind of a, a lot of opportunity to buy currently? Uh, a couple of comments. Number one is long-term interest rates are not going to go up that much. So let's assume you ended up with a 10-year uh, uh, U.S. Treasury at 10, 2% or 2 and a quarter. That's not going to stop anyone from investing in real estate. That that actually is a very good long-term rate, right? Um, so yes, I would definitely you know think that's not it. That's not it. And then and then secondly, what I'm suggesting is that given the low-rate environment and given the fact that we see these unstoppable trends available to us. Where do we advise clients to invest? That is what we're focusing their attention on. But clients are having trouble being borrowers in this environment, right? They're highly liquid. They don't need necessarily to borrow, but we want them to use leverage effectively. And that's why real estate as an asset class is a very, very attractive place. And what I was about to say is that we have to caution them that not all real estate is going to be a good investment, right? Not all apartments, not all offices, right? Not all tradition, not all hotels are going to, are going to come back. I mean, for example, if if someone said, where is the inflation going to happen? I don't think that center city, New York City is going to necessarily be uh, as attractive, for example, as London might be, as we, as we look ahead, right? And certainly I would rather be an owner uh, potentially in Singapore than in Hong Kong looking ahead, depending on how p- politics all plays out. So I think we have to be mindful, right, of the fact that this is an environment where we're having a changing demographics, we're having a changing political environment, and we're going to have changing policy much more activist policy by governments, all of which is going to change how we want clients to be exposed to the real estate asset class. So just to recap, then, you, you don't see inflation as sort of getting out of control and you don't think that the Fed will, will need to push up interest rates by more than a few percentage points. You don't think that they'll get to that position. Again, the word a few, even a few percentage points is not happening, right? Again, I just want to be very clear for everyone listening that the Fed is moving short-term rates, not long-term rates. Right. What the, what the 10 year rate is, is not what the Fed is deciding. Right. So what we're talking about here is what are short term rates? And the reason that we want that we would want to see the short term rates rise is, is if, if inflation become very, very significant, then they would want to fight potentially inflation. But as I mentioned at the outset, the first thing that they want to do is have a robust recovery. That's happening in the United States. It is it is not yet happening in Europe because of the fact that covid is still there. It's not happening in Brazil. It's not happening in, you know, in Australia. It's not happening in India, uh, frankly. And so once COVID is gone, which is now six months from now, then the question is, what's overarching you know, global growth? Um, and, and do we have then persistent inflation in areas that you've touched upon today, like materials? But there is no way to envision the Fed you know, raising rates by 2% you know, over the next 12 months. That is not possible, as I mentioned, because there are structural impediments that they would have to do first. So if I were watching the market and you saw the market reaction you know, when they announced the inflation figures was not positive, those levels, if they were sustained, that would cause the Fed to move more quickly in getting rid of these structural issues and then raise rates more quickly. And that I think the stock market would find you know, negative. But again, I think we've got more data to come. 
Thanks so much for joining me, David and Flora. For more analysis, you can subscribe to our research note, which goes out every Monday, Wednesday and Friday and see our show notes for more details. Please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and listen out for our next episode in two weeks. Thank you for listening to this week's Intelligence Talks. <laughs>